0: the other day there's like this game what's it called petonk petonk yeah petonk yeah Pitank, right. and i see these old guys you know these old retired guys they're always playing this game and the other day i start to talk a little bit with them and they're like yeah hey, come on we're gonna teach you how to play and so i'm i'm finding my my new friends are now 70 years old
1: man. <laughs> that's fine it's a good way to uh... To get into a, a new society, I would say petanque is the right way, man. It's a good, it's a good It's way. the
0: best for an athlete, man. It's more chill. This is what I need.
1: And it is, it's not you're not you're not going to hurt yourself playing that game. So just yeah. being. Uh, no, if I hurt myself game.
0: playing that game, I'm not an athlete, man. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Bonjour, welcome. Another episode today of All The Talk. I have the pleasure to receive uh, 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 my first professional volleyball player in the show. Uh, It's going to be new and I'm very, very excited to introduce you to my new guest today, Taylor Averill. Hello, Taylor. How are you doing? Doing
0: good, man.
1: So Taylor Averill, international international volleyball player. Uh, You have been playing for Team USA uh, for a while. Uh, now you're a professional player in Europe since five or six years. Uh, before we get in, before we get into that thing, how are things with you now, uh, living in uh, in um, Cannes uh, with the pandemic and everything? Just to start on that base, and then I'm going to move on to uh, yeah, introduction. Yeah. production.
0: Well, you know, it's uh, it's always tough. Sometimes as a foreign player coming uh, to a country where you don't speak the language and you, you know, your friends, my girlfriend's not out here. My family can't come. And normally, okay, they can come visit or someone. I have a lot of friends in Europe as well. They can come visit. And this is a strange year because, you know, I'm, I am I played three years in Italy. I have a lot of friends in Italy, a lot of teammates, ex-teammates, and American friends and Italian friends. And I can't see anybody. So it's really, really makes you feel confined a bit. Um, the people I love, I don't get to see every day. So it's been a new journey of me to um, really push myself to continue pursuing those relationships through the phone, and it's not my favorite way of having conversations. I wish we could have this conversation in person, you know, like but that's nice. how it is, and uh, you got to make the most of it.
1: So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not it's not that easy for the coaches. We'll talk, we'll talk about that after, but for the coaches, it's not the easy situation. And right now, in France, you're lucky because you guys can train here. It's a bit different. But before we jump into that, uh, so. Let's go from like where you are starting your professional career. You are and and where you are originally from. So obviously, obviously, we I introduced it, and you are from the U.S. As I said, uh, born in Portland, Oregon, raised in California. Um, you were uh, uh, selected or recruited to go to uh, USC in uh, in California at the university, right?
0: UC Irvine, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. UC Irvine, and then you uh, had to move to uh, Hawaii and then somehow and we get into those details <laughs> and then somehow you arrive uh, uh, you arrive in uh, in Europe play professional in Italy for three years play uh, play in France for a year gotta go from uh, gotta, gotta take care of an injury and then come back and play in Ken in cannes sorry in can sorry, can, in can, sorry. Um, I want to start about that journey. And the first question I want to ask you is, uh, is, and that's a classic question. How do you fall? uh, Because that's not the number one sport in the US. So how a tall guy like you, because I mean, for sure, the basketball scouts and other coaches are try to cut you, I'm pretty sure. So uh, uh, how a guy like you and finishing playing volleyball in the US because it's not the number one sport there.
0: That's true. Um, Look, man, I was... I mean, I played soccer, American. I played European for Europeans, you know, because you're a French guy, I'll say football, but we got yeah. soccer, whatever. Yeah, I played soccer my whole life. And, uh, you know, my when I was 14, f- turning 15, entering high school, I had like a big growth spurt. I was probably five, nine, and I grew to like, I grew maybe three, four inches in like maybe a couple months, like mm-hmm. really big. And I started running like a gazelle. I lost all my coordination. And uh, really, I was just looking for the, the, the dorky kids sport where, where I could fit in. I was like, I was tall, but I wasn't really athletic at that time. And volleyball, what a perfect sport, you know, when you're starting out. <laughs> uh, when you're a kid, it's like, if you're tall, you got a chance, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's how I started. And uh, I, I really was really, really bad, really bad. And uh, I mean, kids, they not kids but like the joke was that I was the they called me a credit card because I had like the credit card you couldn't put a credit card under my vertical and that's definitely not true but damn it was close you know I was not a jumper at all um, and not very good at the sport but I was lucky enough that my coach in high school just really saw something in who I was and saw that I loved it even though I wasn't very good at it and uh, he kind of inspired me and took me under his wing a little bit. And, got me moving and i started playing he actually helped sponsor his name's ryan george's he helped sponsor my first year of playing club volleyball that first year because mm-hmm. it's expensive that's the thing about volleyball too it's not like soccer or basketball where you can just go to the park and there's basketball courts you can shoot by yourself or you know it's a team sport and a lot of times to play indoors, like cost a lot of money to be on a team like that and at the time we just uh, wasn't in our budget and so he helped me do that and and in the meantime too i played every open gym i could find man i mean i played in i played anywhere from the local community gym on tuesdays and thursdays where you're playing against you know there's some 13 14 year old girls there there's 60 year old men there like dude it's so <laughs> diverse i played at churches anywhere i could find dude i was playing and i had like a friend that i would go with this guy tyler rig we would go all the time just anywhere we could find it cuz we just loved the game we would go with our dads and our any friends who wanted to play just to touch the ball and get a little better and kind of just took off from there.
1: Did you watch anything? Did you watch any, did you see any newspaper? Did you watch any documentary? That's the thing. Falling I mean, in love with a sport right. like this?
0: Volleyball's not, it's not what it is for women now, but it's not and has not been uh, popular for men because we got the NBA, we got the NHL, you know, we got MLB, all these big sports and, and there's no professional men's indoor league. And so, no, there's, there wasn't really much to look up to. You had to really, you know, go on. Luckily, as I got older, too, YouTube came around, and then, you know, I was able to, like, YouTube volleyball and then learn yeah. about, you know, like, some of the best European leagues and teams and players and start learning about who was playing at the highest level. But you don't, there's no, uh, you know, I would say the Michael Jordan of the volleyball community was Karch Karai. But even then, it's not like you're watching old games on ESPN of him playing. You know, it's like you got to dig a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: Like it was for us, trying to find uh, in France or in Africa back in the days, trying to find tapes of uh, NBA. It was very, very hard. When you had one, mm. you were sticking to it and watching and watching it, watching it until the the, the tape was dead. You know, <laughs> could not mm. could not go anymore. So yeah. So then from that, you got recruited to go to the big university by the new national team coach at the time and the... At the
0: time, he was the assistant coach. Okay. Um, And uh, yeah, when I, you know, for volleyball, the the goal, if you want to continue to play, is to try to get on a club team because that's where you can show yourself to college scouts and whatever and and try to make it into the, the national team pipeline. So okay. like A2 team, A3 youth, junior, all that kind of stuff. Um, at the time, I had never made it to the junior national team or the youth national team, uh, but I was in the pipeline. You know, I would go to the high performance Camp. tryouts and I would yeah. was a part of some of the travel stuff that they did. and um, yeah, and was lucky enough to have a, a good local club team that I played with those same guys for four years, mm-hmm. and we built a pretty good rhythm together. And actually, everyone from that class, um, when I left in high school, went somewhere Division One college okay. um, for the most part. And uh, yeah, I got recruited by John spraw who was the assistant coach uh, of the national team at the time.
1: And, and since he became the head coach, right?
0: Yeah, as of... Oof, maybe after the uh, i don't I don't even want to say cuz I don't want to get it wrong but I want to say probably after the 2012 olympics he became the head coach that's fair
1: okay did you like uh, like so we talk about it a little bit and i wanted i want to go like trading straight into that uh, uh cause i ask you the question i make my research i look at everything and i don't see like i see university and then blank and then another university and then a blank and uh, uh, there is no like uh, no information, you know? And uh, we talk about, about it a little bit. So you want to share that? You want to share that adventure and that part of your life who was probably when you were leaving it a good part, a part of it and then yeah. really, rea- realizing what was going on? What, how did you change? How did you, how did you move on?
0: Yeah, so again, I got recruited to go to UC Irvine. And, uh, you know, I'll try to keep it like a little bit condensed. So this doesn't take, uh, but basically, you know, after about a month or so of being there, we signed a contract as a team saying that we wouldn't do any drugs or over excessively drink too much alcohol or like just kind of a pact. And, uh, about a week after that, I broke the contract and, uh, was suspended for a year and at the time i was red shirting i don't know if you know what red is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. at
0: the time i was red shirting and uh so i was basically suspended anyways you know like in my you head. supposed oh, man, to play I yeah i wasn't supposed to play and um i mean it was still a, a big deal and, and i wasn't the only one that got suspended there were a couple other players um and it was a it was a big bummer and uh Unfortunately, I didn't learn my lesson right away. And about a month after that, I broke the contract again. And through circumstances, uh, the coach had to let me go. Wow. And uh, that for me was, I mean, look, I come from, my parents are amazing. I come from a religious, a religious Christian family telling your, uh, your mom that you just got <laughs> kicked out of the, the, the team, everything I'd worked for, for, for doing some mushrooms that's a hard thing to, to have that conversation. Oh, my God. And uh, yeah, and, and uh, so basically that, that happened and it kind of, life gave me this circumstance of like, maybe volleyball is over. And, you know, when you're 19 years old, you can't really comprehend what that is. To me, it was like, well, I was still in school. I could still do school. And uh, I kind of just let myself be free in that moment. And school went down. Started getting bad grades and uh, was, had a real loss of identity. And uh, I would say a couple months after that had happened, you know, other coaches and clubs, they started figuring out what had happened. And I was lucky enough to get a, an opportunity from Charlie Wade, who was the coach at Hawaii Men's Volleyball, to give me a second chance for that following year to go play. And look, for about six months, I was very unsure what I was going to do. Okay. You know, I was, I I came, I come from a musically inclined family. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll do music or maybe I'll do these other things. But the Mm -hmm. reality was I put all my eggs in this basket of volleyball. I spent all my time as a kid or for the last four years prior to that, trying to get better at this one sport. And the truth was I had no idea who I was outside of it. And so it finally, finally clicked with me. And I was like, you know, I'm ready for a new adventure. Let's go to Hawaii. And, uh, I get to Hawaii nothing's really changed i'm just like you know what look my rules at that time were as long as i'm doing well in school and i'm showing up for volleyball and giving everything i have what i do outside of that is no nobody's business and uh i kept that attitude when i went to hawaii look i was the kid that was always questioning you know if a coach said to do something i was always i I needed to know why you know it's a part of the reason why i'm not at the time especially was I'm not a religious guy. And when you grow up in a family where, you know, religion's a big part of it and the explanation for some things is, well, God made it this way. A lot of times I was frustrated looking for answers, like, no, there's gotta be another explanation. And so that part of me stuck throughout my whole life, even now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was really questioning a lot. And uh, that attitude, I wasn't afraid to speak up. And so let's just say I didn't hide well what I thought I was hiding, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so after my first year at Hawaii, we uh, were the worst team in school history. Let me start off by saying that.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
0: We did really poorly. And um, at the end of that year, I had, look, by then I had already made a reputation for myself. Other coaches were saying to Charlie, like, why do you want this kid? Like, he's known as like a good time party kid and he's, he's good at volleyball, but like, it's not enough. And I continued to make that reputation for myself at Hawaii. That end of the first year, I get shoulder surgery. I had a slap tear in my shoulder. And so I had to get surgery. And after getting that surgery about the following semester, the following year, about a month in, I played a joke that went wrong and got seen as something it wasn't. And the truth was, because of the reputation I had made for myself, it was kind of the coach's last... You know what, like, I don't, you're, we were already thinking about, should we keep him? Should we not? Because of some things that had happened. And that was kind of like, look, you're not, you're not prioritizing volleyball. You're not like being a good human being. And like, we're just, we've had enough of it. And I was indefinitely suspended from the team.
1: Wow. But they give you chances, right? So they were gi- they were giving you chan- chances and they knew it was tough, but uh, there were, this guy was still, Trying to keep you well, in. Well, you know, that
0: year in Hawaii, the first year, I'd never done anything that was like, I never got in trouble. It was just always, I was always pushing the limits, pushing the boundaries. They tell me to do something. I wanted to know why. And it's like, I was always, I wasn't, I wasn't a, a soldier. Let's say I, I had a bad time just doing what I was told. I needed to know why. And I was ex- at that same time too. And, you know, you're 19 years old, you know, drinking and drugs and living a party lifestyle. When you're that young, you think you can handle all of it. You think you can do that and still play and still be a good human being and have good relationships and you can do everything, you know? That's like what people saw of me from the, what the fans saw of me and what my friends saw of me were two different things. And uh, yeah, so at, after that, that first year, uh, I was then indefinitely suspended. And that's when it kind of all clicked. And they basically said, look, you can still use the facility for your shoulder rehab, but don't show up to practice. Don't show up in the gym. We don't want to see you. And uh, this is when it became real. You know, you lose something the first time, you think that you'd learn your lesson and not me, man. It's the second time I lose it again that I'm like, whoa, what? And man, I remember, it's actually funny. I remember, not funny, but I remember sitting in a, with my assistant coach at a local restaurant called Blazing Steaks, and we're talking about options. We're still talking about options of where else I could play, and we're talking about schools in Canada. It's the only place that I could go to yeah. transfer again because I had to get out of the NCAA. I couldn't play. I couldn't transfer again to another mm-hmm. school. And we're talking about this school called McMaster and some other Canadian colleges. And look, man, I'm a I'm a California kid. I need the sun. No offense yeah. to Canadians, you know what I mean. But I like. I need to be in the warm weather. I need the sun and. This idea of leaving Hawaii, the most beautiful, sacred place on the planet, to yeah. go play in Canada was like when my jaw hit the floor. I mean, I remember sitting with, with him crying, just like, I can't believe I let this affect my volleyball career again and my schooling now and, and my family. And, and I really decided after that moment that I was going to do everything I could to change it. Just begging. If I was a religious man, I would have been on my knees like, Lord, if you give me one more chance, you know, like, I was looking for any, anything I could do to to prove to them that I wasn't this person I was being perceived as. And I mean, I cut out all the bullshit I took, I cleaned up my diet. At that time, I met a guy named Daniel Marchong, um, who had a very unique style of training. And he completely reinvented my body. He helped me um, with the rehab process and also the strength and conditioning part. And I was waking up. And, and at that time, it's like I couldn't practice or do anything because of my shoulder surgery. And I couldn't show up to the gym. So all I had to do was go to school and rehab. And when people say, like, putting the blinders on and, like, focusing on that, dude, I was that times a million. This was, like, my goal. And every day I would do different drills outside the coach's office. There was like They had these big offices, and then we had the football field and I would be on the field doing sprints, doing jumping work, whatever, because I knew they could see me. And I wanted to show them like, I'm gonna come back a a completely new man. And six months go by, the season's about to start in in January. And the team actually had signed a petition to get me back on because the guys who really knew knew me knew that, I mean, I was a good person. You know, I was someone who worked hard and uh, was someone who had a lot to learn as well. And I was, thankfully given that let's say third chance you know to to be like all right this is it this is like there's it and then there's this you know like the difference is this is the last thing we'll ever take you need to be on your best beat up completely reinventing myself as a as a human being i got i dedicated myself to getting a 4.0 for the rest of my college career and i did that i dedicated myself to transforming my body and gotten the best physical dude, I became a beast athlete. And I'm telling you, I did not believe it was possible. (laughs) I always had like, I was always the kid with like a little bit of baby fat. Like I wasn't big, I wasn't super skinny. I was just like a little baby fat. Just like we could say like a fun body, I had a fun body, you know what I mean? And I was never like a big jumper. I was just like, okay, I was good. I had a strong shoulder, but I was good. And I'm telling you, I, I spent every waking moment crushing school, crushing fitness, crushing volleyball, crushing diet. And you do that for a year and you start building momentum. You start really seeing changes in your body, dude. And that was feeding me. And what happened was I got addicted to the process. And that is like my biggest lesson for for anyone listening. Like if you can get addicted to the process, it's over. Like not only did I, did I know I had to do it. It's then I fell in love with it. And then it didn't feel like a job. It didn't feel like work, you know?
1: Okay. So what I like about your story, what I really really like, and I don't know if you saw that see, saw that, that way, but when you play before you went to university, before you went to, uh, US, um, uh, to Irvine uh, University, you know, uh, right before that, you were talking about that coach who, are, who was uh, able to uh, take you on his wings and uh, help you out and guide you a little bit. And, and for you, I'm sure it was very, very important. But when you get into university, you lose that guy. It's different. His university system is different. So you don't have that relationship with the coaches. So you lose that. Uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm looking for the word in French, but uh, in English, in French, ancrage, an uh, this base that you have, you know, uh, in our life, we have base around us who can solidify the balance of life we are into, right? So if... You have your family, you have your work, you have your passion right there, you have this, you have there, and suddenly you move on, you take off something, but you don't replace it. And then you take off another and you don't even realize that you don't mm. have this those repair anymore, and you lose yourself, like little by little. I saw that happen a lot with a lot of, uh, of athletes. Mm. Uh, 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 what is good in your stories is, is that you overcame. And uh, uh, sometimes they over when it, when the athletes understand that it's time to change. Uh, sometimes it's too late, but it's ne- it's never too late. It's late for the swimming career or the sport career, but then they're changing after and they understand after. For you, it was a blessing because you understood that so young. And as you said when we were talking on off, you told me uh, uh, you don't realize how much you love game, you love what you are doing until un- until is. Off, of uh absolutely off your head.
0: yeah right? i mean we I say that all the time like you really don't know how much you love something until it's taken away and at that age at 18 19 20 you can't even really comprehend what that's like yeah i mean at that even now i still don't understand what's like going on in the real world you know I'm just, that's still new to me i've been playing this game for my entire life and especially at 18, 19, 20, you don't know what you prioritize for the most no. part. You're still learning those things. You don't realize how important relationships are at that age, really. You're still learning how to love. And um, Yeah, I feel I feel really grateful um, to have made so many mistakes. And look, that's just my volleyball career. There's so many other mistakes I've made in my life that uh, developed me into who I am now.
1: But along the point, along the way, you still have the chance to meet people. If you're a good person, you're going to attract good people around you. And sure. you, lo- you lost that in California. If you arrive in Hawaii doing shit again, uh, victim a little bit of your reputation, but as well of you not, as you said, because you, you create the reputation too. That's your fault, right? So uh, there was a reputation because you didn't behave like you should have. But still, there was this guy coming in Trying to help you out and try to, uh, uh, you know, give you a chance without even, I, I, I'm sure this guy had, I'm sure this guy had nothing to lose or uh, nothing to, uh, nothing to, to, you know, uh, it wasn't for him, it was for you. But he did for you sure. because they were a There were a connection.
0: Are you still in relationship with this guy? Are you talking about my coach at Hawaii?
1: No, the guy who helped you out right after in the rehab, and uh, that guy that you met who transformed everything. I want like to you talk Marchand. a little bit about him.
0: Yeah, I, I do. And he was more, um, he's a look, he's a Chinese guy who works with the Chinese women's national team for volleyball. Okay. As the strength and conditioning, physio kind of side. And uh, yeah, he was, man, he was someone who really, look, at that time, he worked with women's basketball at Hawaii. And he took me in, dude, he gave me free workouts for three years. I worked with him one-on-one for three years for free. I mean, he really took care of me and and I owe him my professional career. I say that to him all the time. Um, I feel I was really blessed and lucky to to have met that guy. And then at the same time, someone I didn't mention is a guy named Milan Zarkovic, um, who was a Serbian guy, assistant coach of the national team father figure basically to everyone who's ever played there since he's been assistant coach there and uh, who had a European style of training that I'd never seen and that I loved too. All these things were different. And I I met these different schools of thought all came in at one time um, to really make me re fall in love with the thing I had loved in the first place, you know, and I, and I felt like I had some, someone holding me accountable, you know, I was showing up every day and I had someone holding me accountable to keep pushing Um, And then once you get a little bit of that momentum, I was lucky enough to, I've always been a really self-motivated guy. Um, And for some people, it's not, that's not an easy thing to do. And even now in certain aspects of my life, it's, I got to push myself a little more, really go outside myself. But in some things um, like this is, this again, relating to my story, I I have a really addictive personality and uh, I got addicted to some things that lead people down the wrong path. And, um, you know, I have friends to this day who could have been great volleyball players who made similar mistakes and aren't here now. I'm sorry, they're not dead. No, no, <laughs> they're no. They're not here in the volleyball world. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. They get a chance to play professional or prove themselves at the division one level, you know? Um, and I was lucky enough to take that addictive personality and get addicted to the good shit in life, the healthy shit in life. And uh, I, I'm lucky to be here now you know
1: so you you end your uh, your university changing new mindset, you know how to behave and you are becoming a professional you know you are trying to you're starting to understand how you should take care of your body and everything. So how come this opportunity to play for you in Europe arrived uh, um, and tell me how did you start like
0: Yeah, okay so basically because we don't have a pro league in the US, If you wanna play professional volleyball as a men's indoor athlete, you gotta go play in Europe or in Brazil or in Russia or China or wherever, you know? Anywhere else in the world seems to have a professional league but the US. And, but Europe I would say is the hub, you know? Poland, Italy, France, these are the leagues, Russia, these are leagues you wanna be in. And, you know, through this assistant coach Milan, he is a Serbian guy, obviously, and really, really well known in the volleyball community. And he set me up with one of his friends, who's an amazing, amazing agent. And, uh, you know, again, my, after coming back after that, the year I'd gotten kicked off at Hawaii and back on the team and reinvented myself, I finished as a two-time first team All-American Yeah, and, uh, that'll definitely help make you known a little bit. You know, my senior year was at the time I was easily the best middle blocker in the league and one of the best players in the league. And uh, I got, luckily, a shot to to prove myself and went straight to Italy. I went straight from Hawaii, which is at there. You know, I think I'm the best player in the world because I'm a great university player. And you go to overseas and you get really humbled, I think. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Because you discover that there is a a, a, a sport, but it's another way to do it. On, on that side of uh, the world, you know I want, to, I want to share that with you. it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty fun story and, and some of my friends know know that story, but I, I like to share that story. You know I arrived from uh, I was born in Ivory Coast and I started to swim there and I have no idea how the rest of the world swim, right? So there I was uh, kind of the best swimmer in my age group and uh, when I arrived in France, I saw it's going to continue that way train like we used to train there not doing that much and stuff and i arrived at the pool and i remember the first time i met my my first coach there his name was serge very french name and serge, serge is telling me okay you're gonna swim like three four hundred meters whatever and i swim and i'm proud you know i'm, I'm a champion <laughs> i'm getting out of the water and he's telling me okay then you have everything to do from the beginning everything mm. and i could not believe and I had to beat the younger girl, meter by meter, and then catch one guy and then catch. It took me like uh, two years to come back. And one thing I'm the most proud about is the fact that out of that group, I think I was pretty much one of the only guy or the first one who did who made his national time so mm. it was and i was like i was shitty like like you were telling your story at the beginning like uh, mm. you know you have abilities but but the thing i had in common with you i was in love with swimming i was in love with it i wanted to go yeah. to go again and improve and improve I, I, I just loved it so when you are as you say when you find your passion this way you don't even see the the the, the work and the, all the stuff that others could see yeah when it your consumes your understand. world man yeah 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 uh, exactly. It's like uh, I said, it's, 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 it's so easy. It's so easy. And, and man, this is not lasting. It's not going to last for the rest of your life. So enjoy it. Cause now you, you realize that uh, you're moving on to this troubled part of your life. Now you're living the professional career. Do you have any idea how long you want to keep on playing?
0: <laughs> man, I was just going to say, this is a whole nother conversation talking about, I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's the thing is my first year overseas, first year playing professional playing volleyball is enough. And let me tell you something too, like I don't make NBA money, I want to be clear about that. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> no, I say this, I say this because having a plan B is important. Having balance in your life and other things you love and other interests is really important. Maybe if I was in the NBA and making 14 million a year or whatever, Maybe the plan B doesn't need, it's not so important yet, you know, and I can just stay consumed with this thing. But for my job specifically, for what I do, having, trying to figure out that plan B is important. And it became really apparent to me uh, this last year when I had knee surgery, you know, it's, again, it's really easy to get caught up in, for me, it's like, if I just do my job, my job's easy, man. I, I love it, eh? So that makes it really easy. But also some days my job is to go to training for two hours. That's it. I get the whole day to do whatever I want. And I just got two hours, you know, to train. And uh, wait, tell me the question one more time. I just got super lost.
1: <laughs> no, the I'm question sorry. was, the question about was your your first, uh, your first, your first, uh, I mean, I asked you what you wanted, wanted to do after the, after your career. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the point is, when, when you get to a certain age, and I'm 28, I'll be at 30 in a, in a couple of years, the idea of maybe meeting my wife, maybe, and I have a girlfriend that I love right now, but maybe having a family one day, you know, maybe wanting to have financial freedom in some way, you know, what that became really apparent, especially when I had this knee surgery and volleyball got taken away. The thing I love got taken away again. Yeah you know, when you're just doing the rehab process and let me tell you something, that was the last couple of years. Did you get older, man? Now I get what all you, all the older guys are talking about, man. Starting to feel my body in ways I never did, you know, <laughs> joints I never thought existed. And, uh, and so taking care of yourself becomes even, even more of a premium, you know? Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, after having this surgery, I I had another sort of crisis of identity, let's say. And realized like man i the truth is i don't have that next plan figured out i don't know exactly what i want to do in fact a big problem that i have is i'm naturally such a curious person i have i've gone through photography i did actually when i had my knee surgery i started doing stand-up comedy because i was like oh maybe i'll do this this seems fun took a course did a five-minute stand-up routine like was like oh this is cool and then after it was like this is a very sad journey if i want to become a stand-up comedian like you know, playing in bars for years with nine drunk people at two in the morning. Like, I don't know if I want to go down that path. <laughs> Worst case scenario. <laughs> yeah, well, but I just, I was like, I want to find that next thing that I love. I've never cared about like how much money I'm making and all. And I've been really fortunate to find the thing I love and been able to do it as a professional career since I was, you know, 20 some years old. Uh, but the reality of being like, it's, you know, it's like, I almost feel like I've retired. Like I'm retired now you know and then i'm gonna have to come out of retirement at some point and, and join the real world in some way and uh because to me the the obvious place to go is like coaching the one thing that i have on my resume i'm sure is to probably be able to coach anywhere after i was so gonna i was gonna talk TV. about
1: that with you because with us with so much history so much stuff that you have been through so much experience that you have to share uh now you are one of the best player in the french championship uh one of the best uh, player in europe you had the you have some amazing stats because I, I look it up you know <laughs> I mean I mean uh, you, you are a pretty good player and if you had some I'm sure there is some people here or, or in France or in, in the US or in California who would be so happy to uh, have a, a guy with your knowledge and your background soon but you figure it out you figure it out I always knew that I wanted to coach always yeah. always always I knew I wanted to coach uh it I, um,
0: let me let me tell you something about my like coaching journey is i i was not that way in fact since i was young whatever i did had to be like especially unique and so the idea of being a professional athlete and then just coaching after for me was like no that's what everyone's going to do that's what all volleyball players do when they're done playing they just start coaching i was like i got to do something really different and a lot of my friends in and outside of volleyball are You know, like my brother's a a songwriter. One of my best friends, Ben, is like a, is an artist and does ceramics and like, and he's a volleyball player as well. And, you know, they have these really creative jobs and I've always been like, oh, I just got to find my medium.
1: Mm -hmm. Maybe
0: it's photography, maybe it's these other things and I get lost in them. And the reality is I haven't found it yet. So what I started doing is I finally accepted the fact that I don't know exactly what I want to do. I don't know if I want to be a coach, but I can help people today. And so I started using my platform as of recently um, to share pretty much everything I know because I've been very fortunate to make mistakes and learn from them and and meet some people along the way that teach some very unique methods of training. And um, I've learned so many lessons that I think have a lot of value. And I'm at a point now where, look, I don't really know what I want to do when I'm done playing, but I feel compelled to serve right now. to to help the volleyball community. So at least I can say, if I don't want to be a coach, at least I can say, volleyball gave me everything and I gave back and I gave back and I helped, you know, younger kids and the younger generations. At least then I can hang my shoes up and be like, I'm done and I'm happy with how I left it. You know, there would be something really selfish about and and the truth is I've, I've been a very selfish person in my life. It's always been about me, you know? And it's only as of the last year or so that I've decided that, I wanna be a better lover. I wanna be better in relationships with my friends and, and and take time to send my mom a message that I love her randomly and, and be that kind of person. Um, and a part of it was, cause I don't know who I am. I, I think sometimes it's because it's been always about me and my career, it's hard to, it's easy to forget that there's so many people that help me along the way, you know? And uh, we take it, I feel We like take it
1: a bit for granted sometimes.
0: For sure. You know, especially when, uh, I mean, the truth is, being a professional volleyball player, that life is easy. I mean, it's hard being overseas away from your family or whatever, but if you're a young single guy who's just finished university, you go play overseas, like, it's great. You get to do the thing you want every day, you know, and it's easy to... You know leave college and you think they're going to be your friends forever and then you leave and they're not in your world anymore and you forget about them you forget that they were a huge part of your life Mm -hmm. and that's why i I try really hard to send messages to friends and people that the real ones you know the ones that i know are really there for me the ones that i that i really see a lot of and that i really love those are the people i try to to keep in touch with as much as i can trying to avoid
1: trying to avoid to realize how much you love them until they are gone so that's what you are doing right now you are trying to avoid that bad feeling that bad taste i had that as well in my life you don't want to have that you don't want to have any regret. you want to give them everything you can give them and share with them more and more and more and more. And you waste enough time you want to go for it just want to go for it
0: well and to that point too I, what i was really trying to say is that in spending all this time trying to figure out what am i going to do when i'm done what am i going to do when i'm done I decided to flip the script a little bit and be like how can i help as many people as possible and maybe that will what i want to do what i'm done that will that will in doing this it will create opportunity for the future but what i'm really trying to do is not think about me for once and that's its own been its own journey even the last two months posting different things and and uh getting feedback from people from random kids in Brazil or Thailand that I don't even know that are like, man, I'm so thankful that you're posting these things and I get to hear about these different ways of training and they're so curious and they have questions and I'm taking time out of my day to respond to, you know, a 14 year old kid in Thailand because I'm, I made it, I made a decision this year in Khan that I would do that, that I would, I would really put myself out there to the world and, and try to, to help people. That's kind of my my mission as a job.
1: It is beautiful, you, you, uh, I mean you already found what you already found. What you want to do, you did, now you, the more you're going to do it, the more you're going to be able to target exactly what is it you're going to have an effect and, and positive effect on and move on and move on and move on, so I want to tell you something, I want to share something with you, because uh, I didn't find you randomly, uh, as coaches we always try to find good stuff, try to look it up to different sports, I'm a sports fan, I look to every sport and one of my things in training is core i love core training and i'm watching everything i can especially for especially stuff from uh, martial arts and i love there is good good stuff there and looking at your stuff on the on instagram on the social media i found i found your profile three four months ago didn't know you as as much uh, follow volleyball a little bit but
0: you don't got no, a lie to me. There's no way you knew who I was before you. Oh yeah, me. man. I
1: receive I receive Lequipe. I receive keep every day. I'm reading keep every day, and I remember ah, okay, like okay, reading okay. when you make the transfer. I well, an article about you moving from Italy to uh, Can. You know, uh, on the website mm-hmm. and in. Uh, ah, maybe I find maybe I find this article and I will pull it in my, to illustrate the episode. But uh, but I, I found <laughs> I found that too. I read that. Uh, All right. I read those sport newspaper, European sport newspaper. Every day, really try to stay. Uh,
0: I never doubt you again. Okay. Tra-
1: <laughs> so,
0: so I, I see that, and
1: you know, I'm like, uh, what? Like, who is this guy? How is this guy? Who is he? You know? And I'm looking at you, and I, I see the, the core, the core training, the, the little video you post. So everyone there, watching this, I hope there's going to be many of you. If you're watching this, go on this on Instagram. Go on Instagram of uh, uh, Taylor Averill. Uh This Instagram is great. He's giving a lot of core exercise, a lot of simple stuff. Who could help, I'm pretty sure, lots of people from different sports. I already uh, I stole you a few. I can tell you. <laughs> I can tell you. Because people so, ask right? me sometimes, they see my session, they say, oh, wow, it's, there's some variation, there's a new drill, I don't invent them. Uh, I go around, I look, and I try to adapt that to my sport. So, because I mm-hmm. need kids, variety, you know, variation of stuff, you know, there has to be difference, you know, yeah. um, you work six, six years with one, one athlete or four years with one athlete, if you feed them with the same stuff all the time, it's hard, it's hard on them too, you know? Sure. So, congrats on that. So, how, how do you, because there is a lot of core training and can you tell us why core is so important in your discipline?
0: I mean, if we're being honest, core is the most important thing, I think, in every discipline. I think Thank swimming. You. <laughs> is, let's be real. Core is the most important thing in swimming. Am I right?
1: Yeah, man. It's very, very yeah. important dream. You remember those suit, The biggest suit the suit that they brought, you know, all those guys uh-huh. were breaking the world record and stuff. It lasts for a couple of years. Then they stopped it. And then we start to break world record again with those suits. So coaches realized that those suits were giving you – the right balance because he was holding the body so tight, you know, so you had, mm. you, you didn't have to have a strong core to use your core, this sure. but this suit could help you out a lot, so when they took that off, coaches start to figure out that, wow, we actually can compensate that lot of core that the suit used to give you by just working on it. And now it's all new shit in the. Oh, sorry, it's all new. Uh, it's all new uh, uh, in uh, in uh, in swimming now because there is more and more and more and more, uh, dryland training, activation training with lots of core sure. involved.
0: Yeah, and I mean, obviously, volleyball, where we have to control our bodies in the air. You can't put your feet down in the air. You can't move. You know what I mean? It's everything comes from the core. The entire swing starts at the core at the hips. Um, I through my uh, meeting the right people at the right time, met a guy named Austin Einhorn, who's uh, oh, he's going to hate me for saying this, but like a movement guru, a movement specialist, I call him. And he worked under, uh, at some point he was, he introduced to me a concept called DNS. I don't know if you've heard of it. And if you haven't, then here's a rabbit hole to go down for you that you'll enjoy. Let's go. It's called uh, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And it stems from a guy in the Czech who created it uh, based on babies from when they're three months to 13 months. The whole idea comes from the core and IAP, which is uh, internal abdominal breathing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And basically, a lot of the movements that I learned from him, you'll see me in this what we call three-month position, one of the core exercises that I'm sure you saw. Mm where we focus a lot on being stable in the core and moving from there. And uh, we also focus a lot on breathing. There's so many different breathing exercises and breathing trainings that I do as well um, that are focused about breathing into the core while you're doing performing certain movements. And um, so, I mean, you kind of made it like, core is the, the main topic here. And uh, I could go a long time about core, but the truth is um, I was lucky enough to meet someone who that was a big staple of movement and realized quickly that I stopped having like lower, I would get like lower back pain, especially as a volleyball player, our spine is just constantly taking yeah,
1: beating. you bounce yeah. And
0: uh, when I started doing these core exercises every day, I started noticing that I was just felt better in general. Um, and another... Another rabbit hole to go down is uh, I don't sit, I try not to sit in chairs. That's my big, uh, I'm sitting right now, you can't tell, but I'm sitting on the yeah. floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and a big part of that is my first year overseas, I, when working with this guy, he was kind of pushing with me to play around with the idea of finding mobility throughout the day. I think a lot of people, they take time in their day to focus on core. They take time out of their day to stretch and to do these things. and what I found is how can I watch Netflix and still get shit done? How can I, how can I still go about my day, talk with friends, do what I want, but live a mobile lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And that alone has had a huge impact. So when I first went overseas, the first thing I did was I bought a big rug and I got rid of my couch and I just threw a rug down and was like, I'm going to force myself to sit on this rug and I'd have little toys, you know, or like a foam roll or something. I'd have like a little, these like tiny little seats that I could sit on, but I basically got rid of the habit of sitting in a chair. And, and through doing this, you learn to sit in all these different types of positions. Uh, my joke was like, my goal was to be a tall guy who sat like a Japanese gardener. You know, like I wanted I wanted to have that kind of mobility and see how it translated. And I was pretty, pretty pain-free um, and had so much better mobility and flexibility in my hips. And I mean, even sitting in certain positions, your core is just like micro activated. Mm -hmm. So living this mobile, let's say lifestyle had a huge impact on my professional career without me taking an extra, I was already taking extra time to do extra work because that's how I got here. And for me, it's a staple of how I stay here is putting in extra work in the the weight room and doing different type of strange exercises that I do now. Um, and just to add on top of that living a mobile lifestyle makes it so much easier now to accomplish those goals and to stay mobile because it's not something i need to take time out of my day to do it's a part of my day i live my day
1: would you agree if i come back to you and i say what you are doing now it's coming back to more natural stuff
0: absolutely absolutely and uh what's So this is, this brings up a really interesting topic and, you know, a lot of the the training, strength training methods you see today don't really touch on um, kind of natural ways of doing things. Like, for example, I've had people tell me that foam rolling is important, necessary. And in fact, I still do it. And then I also had people tell me, but there's, it's not, it's too much trauma. You know, it's hard to figure out what to do. And so at the end of the day, it's just like, well, what, what, what did we evolve to do how did we evolve to move you know and we didn't evolve well sadly now we're evolving this way but we didn't evolve to sit with our hips compromised in a chair for mm-hmm. four six people who work a nine to five for that amount of time mm-hmm. and and to think that going to the gym for an hour is going to be the cure to then sitting in a desk or sitting in a chair for nine hours is ridiculous if you look at the body like uh this machine that's constantly adapting your body's adapting to whatever you give it. If you're swimming for seven hours a day, maybe that's that's definitely overtraining, but like if you're swimming for that amount of time, you're going to be damn good at it because your body's adapting to that skill. So if you work out for 30 minutes or do a 30 minute at home workout, but then spend eight hours working out in a chair doing nothing, your body's going to adapt to that because it's trying to save energy and trying mm-hmm. to, you know, all these other systems get kicked on and, um, yeah. So I, I realized that early and, and I realized like oh, instead of instead of living, instead of just like going to the gym and being like, all right, I did my gym stuff. Now I can go just be on the computer, be on the phone or do whatever and, and sit around. I realized once I got rid of the. Let's see, how do I say it? once I got once I got rid of at that time, I needed to get rid of the couch to force myself to sit on the floor because it's way more comfortable to sit up here, I'll be honest with you you know but once you get used to it it's like i enjoy being slightly active and mobile and i think in fact it's walking around is better than being static we weren't meant to be static creatures you know and and to think that you just kill yourself in the weight room or you kill yourself at your sport and you come home and then you're just static well that's not how it is either and so i'm for myself my journey has been finding that balance between keeping things moving because for me i feel way better dude look when i Just a quick little last bit. When I went to Hawaii, when I was let back on the team, we had weights at 6.30 in the morning as a team until eight. 6.30 to eight, I was weight strength and conditioning with the team. I went directly from there to work with Daniel Marchong where we worked for two and a half hours together doing a different type of isometric explosive type of training. And then I would go to class and then I would surf and then I would go to volleyball practice. Like that was my schedule and I loved it. And maybe now looking back, it could be seen as overtraining, but there was something about being that active where I didn't feel as tired. I kept myself going and eventually my body adapted to it. And I think it's a huge reason why I made such incredible um, improvement. changes and improvement in, in my body and in my play as well, because I also had balance. It wasn't just all volleyball. It was these different styles of training and different you know, learning from like you said, you're you're taking different core variations from different things that you see. And I think as we get older, we miss this concept of play, of playing, of learning and realizing that like you don't stop playing when you're six years old, you know, and, and trying to bring that concept of play into my life now is something that I continue you- to do.
1: And you never stop learning, believe me. You never stop learning because it's, yeah. it's always good to hear and me talk about these mistakes and the way you guys evolve. I can tell you that we are doing mistake. I've done my mistake. I'm going. I'm still going to make some, uh, trying to avoid. But we are human, right? So, uh, and I think that what I will uh, uh, save a lot from what we are ta- our talk today is is. You know, there is always a possibility to be better to do better to move on to the next step you know even if it's not even 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 if it's not easy and that's part of uh, that's pa- that's a part of what you are saying i mean you went through a lot and now you are enjoying the process of doing good and that's good and still you're you still you can still see the wrong and you can still see that uh, okay you see the couch you want to go in the couch or you uh, whatever you know there, it's not it's not that easy to do it's not that easy you talked about it naturally but it's a day to day challenge. It's a day to day habit. And every day you are trying to improve, improve, and improve, and improve. And congrats, man. It's beautiful. I really, I really, really, really like your story. And uh, I wanted to move to uh, the next topics and getting well, getting to the end of it. So my question was, was about Team USA. What are your goals? Obviously, Tokyo should be the goal. Or yeah, I don't know if you're qualified. Were you qualified? The team? Yeah, we are qualified. Okay. So. The goal is the, the goal at the Olympics for you, if we have Olympic. Uh, what are the goals for Team USA?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, <clears throat> obviously the goal for the whole team, and this probably goes for every country who's qualified in the Olympics, is to win gold, man. I mean, that's, that's why we're doing it. Um, I know for myself, yeah. look, my, my journey in the national team gym has been a dogfight. I mean, when I first showed up, I was, there's like 14 guys that travel, but there's maybe 30 guys on the roster, technically on the A squad, B squad, remainder, kind of C squad. Um, And I started off. So in my position, I'm a middle. Two middles play at, at one time and three go to the Olympics. When I first started in 2015, I was maybe the eighth guy on the depth chart. And each year slowly worked my way up and kept proving myself and proving myself overseas. And, and in the national team, it's just like, you get a chance, you do well, that's great. You put it in your resume and you keep it going, you keep it going. And as of 2018, I had the best summer I've ever had with the national team and got chances to start and was number one, number two, statistically, and, uh, finally had my shot. And then, came back from that year overseas, had the best year overseas I'd ever had in Chamon, playing the best volleyball I'd ever had, bang, knee surgery, gotta get knee surgery. And this was supposed to be the year before the Olympics. And I was thought it, my dreams were, were Was over.
1: it uh, the year where uh, with Chamon, where I saw that somewhere in the stat, in Chamon where you uh, you were playing the Champions League phase and you were kind of the same, the, the best scorer in the in that first phase?
0: Yeah, the same year, that year in Shemal was the best year I've ever played volleyball, hands down, coming from the best summer I've ever had felt really healthy felt great. Um, And then tore my uh, patella tendon in my knee, and had to get surgery. And, you know, this is the year leading up to the Olympics. And I think like, there's my shot, it's over. Because I that year in 2019, I didn't get to play other guys got a chance and they played well because the guys in those in that gym are good. Yeah, Everyone at the national team level is good. Yeah. All of them can play. All of them should get a chance to go to the Olympics. But the reality is in my position, only three will get to go. And so not having that opportunity leading up to the Olympics, I thought my the dreams for me going to the Olympics were over for 2020 and then COVID hits. And I'm not saying I'm happy for it. Absolutely not happy about COVID, no doubt. But for what it did for my potential to go to the Olympics, it gave me a second chance again, you know? And uh, I feel super grateful just to have an opportunity to, to prove myself and prove that I'm a guy who should be going there. And uh, whether I go to the Olympics or not, it's my duty to show up into the national team gym and be a good player and push the guys that will go and in return push me to do the best I can. And that's kind of the beauty of coming back home everyone's playing against each other in different leagues overseas and then you get to come home and it's like all the boys are back you know and, and everyone's pushing each other that environment is really uh, special and a unique environment and i feel really grateful to be a part of it you know
1: yeah man yeah man that's yeah. A, that's a, that's a that's a blessing so when you you so the the us team will be will might might go to the olympics so i say might because there is covid 19 and I'd like to have a short talk about that with you, because I said at the beginning of the show and I want to come back on COVID. I really, really feel for the athlete right now. I don't know what's going on, how it's exactly in France right now, but I'm sure it's not like in the, is it in Canada. In Canada right now, if you are not in the national center, you cannot train like a high-level athlete, especially for a sport like swimming. Uh, we can coach just younger kids, 15 and under, because they are living, they are, they are more secure apparently in their school and in their bubble so when you bring that to the pool it's easier for them to keep them together and train them together but my swimmer my group my 16 years old to 21 or 22 years old swimmer are training by themselves i'm sending uh, 14 practice one shot on monday or sunday and they do what they have to do sometimes i can talk to them i can can chat a little bit talk about practices and stuff but it's not the same it's not the same at all, and I see. I saw this. I see those athletes, and there is one athlete in our club who is a, a medalist at the Olympics, with a Canadian team, Catherine Savard. And uh, now she is a teacher, and she was try, trying to train to make that team, but she has to train in the public. She cannot access to the national any national center because she wasn't there before, so she has to train by herself. And I found that very, 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 very sad and those athletes trying to they try to make the team they try to achieve their dream and they can't and they can't because no one in each government in each country make a decision because everyone is waiting for IOC to say okay we're going to do the Olympic or we're not going to do the Olympic but right now uh, if you are six months away from the Olympics and you are training like you are training right now are you able to say am I training the best uh, condition I can find to reach my goal I'm sure you yeah. have the right condition <laughs> you you do
0: have yeah for for now we do yeah
1: for now and some, it, ad, some, it, other, some other athletes don't have that so I find that I think that it's kind of unfair it's not uh, Olympics you know they are talking about this symbol of equity you know they want to do that everyone should get this should get like like Right now, it's not what I, what's what's happening. It's so unfair It's all over the place, and I think that if the IOC doesn't make a stand, country should decide yes or no they are going. And if they say yes, they support the athlete the full way. If they say no, we know, but we don't. Yeah. We are not there waiting, trying to coach, trying to. It's it's so sad, man. Very, very, very. very
0: it sad. is. It is sad, but you know what? And look, I I don't necessarily want to comment on like the political side of what should happen because look for me you're right to to some degree i mean look when we were when covid hit we couldn't train i play a six man sport we could only train with four people in the gym at one time so it completely changed training we couldn't work out in the gym anymore everyone had to work out at their homes separately but let me tell you something when that had happened I was, this is where that's, those are the moments where I shine when the lights are off. And I was like, it's on because I spent, I spent, I was uh, quarantined in my brother's garage basically. And we turned it into a gym and I was doing double days on my own. I didn't have a volleyball court, but I had a medicine ball and I knew what eight feet looked like. Cause that's the height of the net. And I found like a little gate that we had that was eight feet and I was doing stuff like, dude, this is to me, it's like, okay to maybe people who are listening who want to make excuses of why they can't train don't get me wrong talking about what's fair in different countries this is another conversation but for me when i see potential for excuses and we're all now in the same playing field or we're at one moment for sure um that's when to me i was like i'm gonna come back and they're not even gonna recognize me
1: but again you have that chance and that's what i'm telling to my athletes now it's it's the passion going to take over. If you are not in love with what you do, it's going to be tough. For sure. You got to be in love with your sport to be able to practice it and go there on your own and train for the right reason. Because right now, just while in the training, high high elite level training for the wrong reason or doesn't know exactly the reason, is I going to struggle more. And that's not your case because, man, you are getting out of injury. You are starving to make the team. You want to come back. You know, you have that... uh, You have that uh, strive that you add back still since you're in Hawaii, but you are in the right momentum, like we talked about earlier, you know? So it's... uh, it's, uh, No, I really agree
0: with the statement you just made, where these are the moments in life where you're confronted with how much do you really love this thing you're doing? Because I could imagine, say, I could imagine being a swimmer and being like, oh, man, they shut down the community pool. Now I have nowhere to swim. I can't be a better swimmer. And the reality is there's a mental side of the game there's a strength and conditioning component to the game. You're telling me you can't find a body of water like a lake, something like if, for me if I was a swimmer and my goal is to make the Olympics, I'd find a lake. I'd I'd do laps in a hot tub, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I just think that there's there's always a way. Life is always giving you answers if you're willing to listen. And uh yeah, and that's I, I really hope that there's people out there who have dreams like that and feel like COVID's a cheap excuse. You know what I mean? And I think to to add to your point if you really love something and you're being tested by it right now like there are other solutions man you hear so many people being like man in some way covid was is this awful thing and in some ways it's bringing us together in strange ways you know we're we're you're having we're having a zoom call right now stuff stuff that maybe we wouldn't have to do we're having Um, to learn you're probably having to learn how to edit audio and do things maybe you didn't think you would have to do that might serve your purpose in the future you know what i mean and and I never thought I'd be getting to talk to a, an amazing swimmer, a coach uh, from Montreal, man, a French guy. Like I just never thought those things would happen. Amazing
1: so just, swimmer, I don't know, but uh, coach, yes, okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's for the swimmers to decide. Definitely not me. But yeah, man, I think life is presenting some really unique opportunities right now.
1: You know, you know, the 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 my positive stuff about COVID. Actually, there is two. Actually, there is three. <laughs> the best stuff is realizing how hard it was on my mom living in Paris, being on being on her own. We talk, we talk a lot. But since mm-hmm. when COVID started, I saw every day I was on the phone with her, like you were saying, sending. I, I usually send, I do st- send random message sometimes and stuff. But for COVID, I was more there, you know. And mm-hmm. without COVID, I think it would have been harder on her and uh, I wouldn't have done that the way I've done it and it make our, it makes our relationship better and makes everyone love each other better and that was the first. The second is having the chance to spend more time with my kids, especially with my kids that I don't see often. I never wake up with them, never bring them, bring them to school because at five o'clock I'm at the pool in the morning. So that's different stuff. And the third one is what we are doing right now. It's, uh, I had that in my mind for a while and I started it Saturday during uh, the quarantine, the first pandemic and if I, I don't think I think that if I didn't have that that's a ter- that's a bit therapeutic for me as well I have to say I have to say but uh, if I didn't have that I would be like I'm a very hyperactive person too so if mm. I don't have things to do <laughs> yeah that's 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 very hard so you're right there is positive effect of a positive effect on it but like I'm scared about the negative effect I think it will take a little while to realize. How huge is that? Uh, that stuff. But let's come back on something better, like more positive energy, <laughs> to finish this. I usually, I usually try to finish with the uh, uh, same question. But for you, I have two. Would you have a story that you have to share with a professional team during a game? A funny story, like like something who doesn't happen uh, a lot like probably some camera didn't see that you went through in the game so I would love I would love that to, to, to share that with uh, with us if you have this kind of uh, little you know little hinge history. <laughs> I'm sure you see one.
0: <laughs> man I really I'm, I'm really I'm really searching here. Um, I mean talking about like camera like stuff, a fun I one know, so- I know that when I went to for example, when I went to school in Hawaii, You know, for most schools, especially because most of the other volleyball schools are in California, you're lucky to get maybe 500 people to show up to a game. And in Hawaii, they love it. And my senior year, we were so good. We were selling out a 10,000 crowd stadium. Whoa. And we're on TV everywhere. There's cameras. It's like a real production Playing at Hawaii is if anyone gets a chance to play there, it's an amazing place to play. Uh, you feel like a professional and they don't have professional sports. They don't have professional sports teams. So it, their university is the pros. And I remember, um, especially my first year, not being used to being filmed all the time. And they got close-ups on your face. And I just remember like, you know, I'm 18-year-old kid. I'm swearing whatever, you know, whether I'm doing good or bad. Fuck you, And I just remember like our coach at one point being like, you know, you guys got to stop swearing all the aunties, people are writing in emails, like they can tell that we're swearing at that time. So before my freshman year, we all had long, we just all happened to have long hair, facial hair. (laughs) We were the worst team in school history. We were swearing, like just the worst. And actually after that year, that's when he really cleaned up and was like, no hair past your ears, no facial hair. You guys need to start like dressing the part, looking the part, really being mature adults. Um, And that's something I had to learn early because I was getting close-ups on my face, you know? <laughs> and like, you you don't realize how much you're swearing until you watch yourself uh, play, you know, a couple months later. Our games were on at the bars and they do reruns at the bars. And that's when you really realize what you look like that's on me. camera. That's what I'm saying? No, I'm like, away. man, you can't hide anything, you know? You got to learn to compose yourself a little bit.
1: <laughs> so to end this, I always ask the same question. If you had good advice to give to... Some young, valuable player. I know you are helping some young player around the world right now. But if you have to share, what would you have to share to them? What would you have to give as a best advice to those guys, sports people watching, looking at you right now, and the youngest one want to try to get some inspiration out of you?
0: That's a great question. Um, you know, right off the bat, I would say if you found something you love just go all in like go all in what's really hard is i've been asked a version of this question before and uh what's hard is i look back at a younger version of myself and i think didn't really matter what anyone said i was going to do what i had to do like i was going to do what i wanted didn't matter if michael jordan came into i mean i remember at uc irvine we had a conversation with kobe bryant actually And he did like a a talk in front of like a couple of other sports teams that were there. And our coach was leading it. Um, Even come from him. Wow. It was inspiring. But then life happens and a couple of days goes past and I'm back on doing whatever I want. And I was just the type of person that had to learn through experience and unfortunately made a lot of mistakes, was fortunate enough to learn the lessons that life provided me with. Um, And one of those lessons was, you don't know how much you love something until it's taken away So it's hard. I I tell people now, I tell kids now, man, if you find something you love, just go all in. Because some people will lose that thing they love and they won't get a second chance, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a life, whether it's a sport, whether it's a job. And uh, I think just having that thing you love is so powerful. You know, the idea of me stepping into a a career that's maybe not volleyball when I'm done is scary because I don't know if I'm going to love it. And right now i show up every day in love with what i get to do so i don't know i don't even know if that answers your question man, it's but, perfect
1: you know man uh, yeah. we can we can feel the love we can feel your love we can feel the love for the game and it's beautiful man cool. this is this was taylor avril number 25 actually you know uh the guy who's going to come before you in my episode is from university of hawaii was yeah uh, um, national team member of the Canadian team member of the basketball. His name is Carl English. So, uh, nice. good, good, episode. incredible story. Incredible story. Cool. Coming from a uh, 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 part in Canada that we call Newfoundland. Hmm. Very, very tiny part. Very cold there as well. So, uh, no, it's <laughs> going to be nice. And it's funny to have a two Hawaii, Hawaii <laughs> University guy back-to-back in my show. Back-to-back, like, uh, back, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, thanks, uh, thanks a lot uh, 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 Taylor uh, to to be there with us uh, today. Uh, I'm very, 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 very happy, and uh, I'm looking uh, uh, forward to see uh, the the result you're going to bring out of this journey, and if you're going to make that gold medal with Team USA, I wish you the best, man.
0: Thanks, bro. I appreciate it. I appreciate you reaching out to me, man.
1: Thank you, man. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank thank you, uh, Taylor. It was a real, 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 real pleasure. Guys, this was all the Talk number 25. Yes, 25. So, keep supporting us keep like like pushing the movement we are moving forward the passion is the passion is within us and spread it spread it spread it spread it. it is good for everyone okay like
0: subscribe tell your <laughs> grandmother i feel you man
1: <laughs> thanks a lot taylor bye bye yeah,